0: Good evening, Hope. I'm so glad that you're here worshiping with us uh, tonight. Uh, that video clip that you just saw was a compilation of, 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 a, of a speech, of a, of a sermon that Martin Luther King Jr. gave. And I don't know if you heard it. He, he said, it. If, if I were to have been asked the question, when would you ever want to be able to live? At what, what period of history w- would you like to de- be able to be a part of, of the world? He says, if you ask me that question, I, would love to be able to live just a few years in the second half of the 20th century. Prophetic words. Words that were spoken into a time, into a culture that that was incredibly dark, especially for those people who were African Americans. And he said, and I don't know if you heard it, he said, it's only when it's incredibly dark that you can see the stars shine. stars shine the brightest. The light shines the brightest when... The darkest, the darkness seems to be at its height. It's Martin Luther King Jr. Day tomorrow, and, and as a church, that's something that, that we take really seriously. We take it incredibly seriously. We've been doing this thing as, as a church with our brothers and sisters at Elam Christian Fellowship downtown. It's a, a church downtown, and, and we've been partnering with them for, for the last year, and we've been doing this thing called One Church where we've been coming together and we meet once a month, the second Tuesday of every month. We just met this past Tuesday down at Elam. It's right next to the Capitol building uh, down in Des Moines. And we get together and we are trying to build relationships. We're trying to build relationships because there's something that I feel that we know, not just I feel, but we know that's something that's been lost. It's the unity and the, the oneness we have in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said, our, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. And this isn't an issue that's passed. This is still an issue that, that is here today, not, not just racially, but economically. Not just economically, but, but how we perceive and we, we, we look at different issues. And we can... Be fooled to think that somehow what we say and what we do, that it doesn't matter. But we know that as a church, we know that as people who are trying to discover the best that we can, what it means to follow this person by the name of Jesus and, and how his life and his teaching and his miracles and his death and his resurrection, how that transforms our life, has everything to do with how we live in the world that we occupy. That we're one. We're all one. And we celebrate the life of a man who who had an incredible, an incredible responsibility that had been given to him, that he he didn't stay still. Not saying he was perfect. None of us are. Not one of us are. But he gave the gifts that he had to make a movement, to to improve the life of his brothers and sisters, not just African Americans, but all of us. The world that we live in is different, it's, it's far better. But people who stand up and, and take responsibility. Am I my brother's keeper? It's an incredible passage from the book of Genesis, the beginning of the book of Genesis. We're in the second week of, of a series here at Hope. We started it last week uh, called Genesis, a binge-worthy Bible series. We're, we're walking through the book of Genesis and we're, we're seeing it for, for all of its intrigue and, uh, and the way in which it grabs you and it grips you and it, and it, and it pulls you along. It, it reads like an incredible uh, TV series that we find ourselves watching endlessly when we get into it. Last week we focused on Adam and Eve, and we related it to the TV show Breaking Bad, that Adam and Eve broke for bad. And because Adam and Eve made a choice, and their choice was to, to step over the boundary that God lovingly had given them, there was a fall, there was a fracture, there was a fracture in their relationship that they had with God, and it also fractured the relationship that they had with one another. But thank God that we have... God who loves, who didn't leave us there. And the fall of humanity reminds us of the need that we have for a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. Today we're taking a step forward in the story, and we're going we're to investigate a story about two brothers, Cain and Abel. You, you know the story of Cain and Abel you know that there's the story of these two brothers that there's something that happens between them. Now you'll hear the story of Cain and Abel a lot and and before we get into the teaching, I just want to brush on something very quickly because Cain and Abel, the story of it at its surface is about one brother Cain who's a herdsman who's out and and is tending to the animal and his brother Abel is tending to the fields. And where the story picks up, they, they come and they both bring their offering to God. So they come and, and Cain brings his offering and, and Abel brings his offering. And and we read it and at first blush we can think that this story only has to do with what we give to God. And sometimes the story has been misapplied, I believe. To basically say, well, it's because Abel gave his best gifts, that because Abel gave his first fruits, that God, that God loved Abel more. So the, the moral of the story is that if you're going to be a good Christian, if you're going to do the things that God wants you to do, then you better pony up and start giving your money. And if you don't, careful, because your life is going to turn out like Cain's. It's a mismanagement of that story. All due respect. God has a invitation on how we steward our time, our talents, and our resources. We need to pay attention that in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he says nobody should give out of manipulation, guilt, or obligation. We should only give out of the cheerfulness of our heart. Ah, the story of Cain and Abel. Goes so much deeper than that. Has so much more of an impact than that. Has to do with how we relate to one another. It's a show that is incredibly popular, actually, even more popular now uh, in its binge watching than it was when it actually aired on, on Fox. The, the show is called Arrested Development. And I would ask how many of you have watched this show, but I don't want to see your hands because I would start to judge you. Not because you're any worse than me, but because you're as bad as I am because I watch the show too. And let me tell you, trying to preach on this TV show is really hard because there aren't a lot of appropriate clips in this TV show. So take it from your pastor. If you don't watch it or haven't watched it, please don't. There is very little that's redeemable in this television show. But what it does and what comedy has the ability to do it takes a truth of culture and it blows it up, and it speaks about it in hyperbole. It exaggerates it. And the story of Arrested Development is about the, the Bluth family. Meet the Bluth family. You have the three really main characters in the story is the, the, the father, whose name is George, and then uh, the, the dynamic that exists between his two sons, his his son, Michael, who's kind of the, the redeemable character. He's the one that tried to, tries to hold the whole family together. See, he's made some horrible decisions and he's found himself in prison. And these two brothers are trying to figure out how they and who's going to handle the family business. So it's Michael, who's the redeemable one, who makes all the practical decisions and kind of has somewhat of a moral compass. And then the one, Will Arnett, who's the actor who plays George Oscar Bluth, his, his initials are G-O-B, and so everybody calls they call him Job. Funny, because he's always suffering. <laughs> the writers know a little bit about their scripture. Will Arnett said when he prepared to play this character on Rest of Development, he said the mindset that he had was of a son who believed he was the chosen one But everybody else knew that he was the least favorite. And Job and and Michael are always at odds with one another. And one is always trying to prove to everybody who he is, and the other one's always trying to hold it all together. One's trying to keep up appearances, and the other is trying to make sure that it doesn't all fall apart. At the center of it is this family business. It's in the second season, it's the second episode, it's a fantastic episode, where this kind of finds itself coming to a head. Take a look. Just doesn't get it. Doesn't get it at all. The relationship is evidence of the fall. Family has incredible amounts of dysfunction. That's only fiction, right? None of our families have dysfunction in it at all. Of course they do, because we're human. No matter how well your relationship, how well it goes with your family, it's it's difficult, it's hard. And there's a strain that takes place, and so much of that brings about emotions and brings about things in us that we would rather try to keep underneath the surface, but sometimes those things pop up and they control us see this play out in my my daughter and son. Just last week, it was Wednesday and my parents came over. It was my dad's birthday. And so our kids were getting ready for my parents to come over and we told them, we said, now whose birthday is this week? And they said, well, it's grandpa's birthday. So we said, who gets the most attention tonight? And they said, grandpa. And we said, okay, so is it all about you or is it going to be all about grandpa? And they said, it's all going to be about grandpa. And we had to re reiterate this multiple times because my kids have this inability to to listen to what common sense is. And so even though we're celebrating my dad's birthday, we knew that if we didn't lay it out perfectly for them, they were going to confuse to think it's all about them. And so my parents came over and it became all about my kids. So they came over and my mom and Bridget, my wife, they were in the kitchen, they they're doing some stuff and Jade, my daughter, my six and a half year old, no, she's gonna be six years old. She thinks she's like six and a half going on 13 because the sass is so much a part of the picture right now. She's in the the kitchen coloring, and she's doing her own thing. And and my son Trey, he asked my dad, he said, Grandpa, can can you play catch with the football with me? It's his favorite thing to do right now. And so my dad said, sure. And at that point, Jade had no concern over what was happening until she saw her brother getting one-on-one attention from her grandpa. And so what you, you would think that would be common sense is for my daughter to walk into the living room and to say To her grandfather and to her brother hey would you mind if i played with you be common sense but my kids don't have any so my daughter goes into the living room and she finds her basketball and rather than saying anything or doing anything and operating under this false notion that somehow maybe grandpa likes her brother better or maybe they don't care about her or maybe they don't think she can catch a football or anything that's that's going on in her brain because isn't it crazy how our brains make up the weirdest stories when our insecurities come to surface so she goes and she grabs her basketball and she goes into the kitchen and she starts dribbling in a circle around the kitchen table now part of me wants to intervene because I don't see this ending very well, but at the same time, there's a part of me that thinks, there might be an illustration for a sermon, so I'm just going to see how this thing plays out. (laughs) Welcome to my world. So she's dribbling around the the, 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 the kitchen table, and I think she assumed that at some point, somebody would say, hey, can we play with you? And everything would be great. It didn't happen, and not because... Anybody wanted to keep her out? that well, no, they didn't love her, but she didn't ask. So finally she dribbles the basketball harder, like so hard we started to wonder if it was going to like start to rattle things off the wall and she goes right next to Trey and as soon as Trey catches a ball, as he catches it, she bumps into him, she falls down and she starts to scream and says, Trey, trip me, he did all of this stuff. No, no, he didn't. Yes, he did. He kicked me. He tripped me. He knocked the ball out of my hand. And we thought, no, he didn't. But there was an envy that was inside of her that got the best of her. Because she couldn't deal with somebody else getting any sense of, Recognition, it's hard, isn't it? Envy is at the core of so much of what we do. Think about this right now because my Vikings are are playing a playoff game right now. And if you wanna keep the score a mystery, plug your ears right now and do na-na-na-na-na because I'm gonna say the score. But last I checked, not that I checked, but I might have checked. (laughs) They're up 17 nut at halftime. I know, thank you, thank God for you, the three of you. But I think about how the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that we're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice, and we're supposed to mourn with those who mourn. And I think if I was a really godly person, that would be so easy, but it's really fun for me right now to gloat in all of the other NFC North fans' faces. And when we beat them this year, there's a part of me that wanted to say, oh, I feel so bad for you, but I didn't. I didn't at all because they're always good and we're always bad. And I finally wanted to be, and I envy who they are. There's a person on our staff who's at the game right now and he didn't even like the Vikings that much. And I envy him so much and I want to be happy that he's there. But am I? Or would I rather wish that he wasn't? Not so I could, because I know that I couldn't, but because I don't want him to experience that if I can't. One of my good friends growing up, there was, there was nine of us who we did everything together. He was an incredible guy. He was one of those people who just naturally took to so many things. If he tried something, he was one of the best at it. He was just naturally gifted in so many things. He was all-state. by the time we were seniors, he was all-state in basketball, he was all-state in baseball. He had scholarship offers to play both in college. He was also valedictorian in our class and he had scholarship offers for academics in college. It's like, anything else, God, you wanna to give to this guy? Because it seems like you've given him everything. Kind of maybe the way that Cain felt about his brother. And all the parents thought he was the most respectful kid, and he was nice to everybody. And he was really good looking, so all the girls liked him. And I remember in the locker room after one of our games, he'd scored like 30 points one game. And for another game in a row, all of the reporters were there, and they wanted to talk to him. And he got done with that, and one of my other friends, he leaned over to me and he said, you know what, I don't know if I should love him or if I should hate him. I thought, how true is that? And that's the story of Cain and Abel. It's about something that wells within us that prevents us from being able to love one another start to shame, we start to blame, we try to control the situations the, the way that Job did. Couldn't stand the fact that his brother would ever have a good idea, and so he has to overtake everything because deep down inside there's an insecurity and he envies everything that his brother is and everything that his brother has. It's Cain and Abel, they bring their gifts and their offerings to God and I don't think it was because one was better than the other. I think it was the posture of their heart where God says to Cain, I don't want your offering. I don't want you to give something begrudgingly. I don't want you to give something with a gripped fist. And Cain gets angry. The Bible says that he gets downcast. And God sees that in him. It says to Cain, Cain, you have a choice because sin is crouching at, at your door. It's eager to control you. The envy that you have inside, the, 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 the need that you have, the, the, the inability that you have to, to see the, the gifts and, and the beauty and, and, and the, the joy of your brother, it's, it's literally, it's killing you right now. It's crouching at the door. It's eager to control you. In, in, in the Hebrew, the eager to control you literally means, wants to twist you. It wants to, to distort that which should be good and, and, and in your mind make it to feel as if, if it's evil, to, to desire to, to take possession over you, to rule you. And maybe for you, it's not envy. I think we all have those things in our lives that seem to be crouching at our doors. Things that have the desire to control us and to rule us and to, to hold possession of, what's, what's it for you? That's a hard question. Because those are the things that often we don't want to talk about them. Because to go there brings a vulnerability that we'd rather not expose. We have it. It's not because we're irredeemable, but it's because we're human. And some of the things even that have the desire to control us... (laughs) when they go unchecked, can literally rule over us. Some of them, even at the inception, aren't bad things. But they have the ability to twist and to turn and to change us. Things like anger, fear, or envy, or popularity, or need to judge other people, or the, the, the need for power, or money, or substances, or our image, or our pride. just won't let us go. Feels as if they almost hold us prisoner, doesn't it? I mean, that's what God is is saying to Cain. He's saying, Cain, it's not that I don't like you, so I'm I'm coming down on you. It's because I love you, that that I'm telling you that this envy, that's this this unchecked sin that's a part of your life, it's literally going to rule you, change you, distort you, pervert the way that you see the world. And not only is that not good for you, but it's not good for your brother, and it's not good for your family. It's gonna change the way that You live your life. It's literally going to make it feel as your life has been built like a a house of cards. Job had made this promise, this promise that had no backing behind it. He says that in two weeks, we're going to be able to to, to build this house. In two weeks. And and Michael knows that it's absolutely impossible. There's no way that this could happen. But the pride that exists in his brother and the fact that he wants to prove himself and he wants to be better than his brother, he makes promises that he cannot follow through on. house falls apart. He still didn't see it. Do you? Where do you turn when you get to those places where you know that there's something that needs to be dealt with? When you go going the wrong way, how do, you, how do you go back? See, sometimes I think we feel as if when those things happen and, and everything falls apart, or, 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 or when we have those, those things that we just don't know how, how to deal with them, we, we we maybe just say, well, that's just the way it's gonna be, but you see, the invitations for a better life. That's what God wanted for Cain. He didn't want Cain to have to live that way. He didn't want Cain to be a victim of of, of the things that weren't of God, and he doesn't want you to have that either. He doesn't want me to have that. Sometimes I I think we, we feel that in order to do this, we have to be perfect, but that's where the narrative of Scripture is so important think about the person of Jesus and I think about how he operated and, and who he surrounded himself with. People who had unchecked things all over their lives. You had Thomas who, Thomas hears reports that Jesus had risen from the dead and and, and Thomas, who we can think that is just one of the perfect people because he's been called by Jesus. But, but Thomas says, now, I, I'm not going to believe it in, unless I can put my fingers in the holes on his hands and in the holes in his feet. I won't, I won't believe it. Even though everybody else had, had testified to what they had experienced. He says, not me. Or you have Peter. And, and Peter, my goodness. Peter had said that to Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. There's nothing, Jesus, that could prevent me from following you. Where, even, if it's to, even if it's to the death, I'll follow you. The night when Jesus is taking his cross out to the place where he'll be crucified, three times, people come up to him, aren't you, aren't you one of his friends? We've seen you with him. You're a Galilean. You're, You're one of his followers. No. 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 Three times he denies Jesus. Judas. Judas betrays Jesus, not because he was evil, but because he was disappointed. He was angry. Judas was a zealot. He was following Jesus because Jesus had promised to bring in a new kingdom, and Judas wanted that to happen the way that Judas wanted it to happen. And when Jesus started not talking about the, the kingdom that was of this world, but he talked about the kingdom of heaven, Judas, out of his anger, he, he betrays him. The thing to me that's so important for us to remember, I mean, we know so many people who name their children. Peter, and so many people who name their children Thomas, but do you know any Judases? Thomas sees Jesus and says, My Lord, my God. And he turns back. Jesus says to To Peter, just before he denies him, he says, Simon, which is one of Peter's names, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each, each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, knowing that Peter was going to mess up, knowing that Peter was going to have something unchecked in his life that was going to cause him to fall, he says, once you've repented, once you've turned back around, then you can go and strengthen your brother's. It's not about making sure that none of us have anything that's unchecked in our lives, like the envy that Cain had. It's about what do we do with those things? What do we do with those things that that desire to control us and turn us and to twist us? Do, do, Do we just say that that's who we are, or do we turn around and accept the love and the grace of Jesus Christ? Because it's the invitation. God sees Cain and... He knows that Cain has done, he's God. He knows everything that Cain had just done. Cain had gone and he, he killed his brother. Cain comes back in and God says, where's your brother? Cain says almost in a mocking way, am, am, am I my brother's keeper? Is he, is, is he my responsibility? Yes. To rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to mourn with those who mourn. It's the gift of Martin Luther King Jr. that we saw the glimpse of at the beginning of this message, who had a dream that there wouldn't be anything that would divide us any longer, that we would all be able to turn around and to turn back and to let God be the one who would show us how to live and how to love and how to treat one another. I want to invite you to be part of one church. It's incredible. Send me an email. I'll get you plugged in. Jeremy.Johnson at Lutheran Church of Hope at HopeWDM.org because we're most definitely called to To love and to be the representative of Jesus Christ and the lives of the people who were around. To be able to be washed clean like so many of you celebrated last week in the reaffirmation of baptism or being baptized for the first time or like Charles was baptized just a few minutes ago. Who was led here by his parents who Keeping him, who are leading him. It's in Colossians chapter 3. Paul says we do this. Not by focusing on the world and the realities of what exists here on earth, because sometimes when we do that, we we see envy and we see prejudice and we see hate and we see anger and we see people who are discriminated against, and we see relationships that are fractured, and we see all of that stuff. Paul says, uh, because of the promise of Jesus, because we've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Live your life going backwards from that, knowing. Knowing that you have a Savior, knowing that, live your life in response to that. It'll be better for you. It'll be better for your family. It'll be better for everybody around you because it's living in the kingdom that God has ushered in. It's a child of God who doesn't judge us by what we give but judges us by who we are and that is his child. To live free from the things that so easily can control us. The envy, the anger, the hate, whatever. To lay that stuff down at the foot of the cross. To give them up. Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and who are heavy laden, who are holding things And I'll give you rest, because my yoke is easy, and my burden, it's light. So we're going to do something a little bit different as we close tonight. We're going to take just a minute, just a minute of quiet. When's the last time you had that? Just being still. Being able to say, you know what, God, this this thing has been a part of my life for so long. I want to give it up. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I trust you with it. I want to hand it over to you right now. I trust you to lead me, to allow me to set my reality on the things of heaven. Just a minute. I'm going to ask the prayer partners to take their places on either side, of the worship center, you can go and you can light a candle in just, just a minute, we're gonna sing a song that celebrates, we're gonna worship to a song that celebrates the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that allows that unchecked thing in our life to get back in check, to start new again and again and again every day to remember the love and the grace that he gives us so I'm going to pray and after I pray we're going to be quiet and then Alyssa will come out she'll lead us in our closing song this time is yours use it as a gift of quiet stillness God thanks thank you for your your love thank you for your life thank you that God unlike Cain we have the opportunity to turn back, to turn around, to get back on track. None of us are without those things that can sometimes go unchecked in our lives. God, remind us of your love and your grace. God, this is a holy time. It's a holy space. Allow us to encounter you in it right here, right now. Amen.